Changes to Clinical Trials, the Patent Perspective. Hello, and a warm welcome to Cartmel's in Conversation. I'm your host, Lara Elder, and today we're going to be talking about the recent changes to the procedure for carrying out clinical trials in Europe and the potential impact on patent filings. I'm delighted to be joined today by my guests Susan Hancock and Ella Green, who are both patent attorneys in our life sciences group. Susan is a senior associate specialising in cell and gene therapies, genome editing, in vitro evolution and cell engineering, and Ella has expertise in bioinformatics and digital health. None of us, I should say at this point before we get started, are regulatory lawyers, so we are going to be looking at these changes purely from the perspective as patent attorneys to help understand how changes to what information needs to be disclosed may affect patent filing strategies. Questions about how the new regulation actually works in practice, of course, will be for your regulatory lawyers. So, Susan, what has changed in the new regulation? Thanks, Lara. The new EU clinical trials regulation has now come into effect and it replaces the old EU clinical trials directive. This new regulation harmonises clinical trial processes in all EU member states, and it introduces wide-ranging changes to the way that clinical trials will now be run. As of the 31st of January this year, all new clinical trials will be subject to that new regulation, and from the 31st of January 2025, all clinical trials run in the EU will be subject to these new rules. So broadly speaking, what's the aim of these changes to the regulation? Well, one of the key objectives of the new regulation is to try and increase transparency about how clinical trials are run with the aim of increased information sharing between studies and to promote greater public awareness of understanding of clinical trials. So examples of this include requiring layperson summaries of clinical trial data to be submitted and also all documents that are going to be submitted to the regulatory authorities in relation to a clinical trial, with a few exceptions, are going to be made publicly available. So while the aims of this regulation are clearly admirable, this increased transparency is likely to lead to an increased level of clinical trial-related prior art disclosures, which, as you said, can impact on patent filing strategy and patentability. So it's therefore really important for patent attorneys to be aware of these changes and their possible implications. So as you say, it's admirable from a public policy perspective and from the likes of me, definitely a layperson might be able to understand a little bit better about what's going on with clinical trials, but as you say, potential impact for patent strategy. So Ella, welcome. Susan's mentioned the increased transparency and the potential of disclosures in relation to the clinical trials. So why is that and what are these likely to be? That's a really good question, Lara. And if listeners only take one thing away from our talk today, I think it really should be that much more information about ongoing clinical trials now has the potential to be disclosed throughout the whole lifetime of a trial. So when we're thinking about the beginning of a new trial, documents like the clinical trial protocols and the investigator brochures might be published. Ella, could you give us some examples of the types of information that's likely to be included in the protocol or the investigator brochure under the new regulation? 
Yeah, so the protocol will have information on the aim of the trial, the hypothesis and the scientific background to the trial. So that might include maybe a review of other drugs for the same disease. And then the investigator brochure includes information on the medicinal product that's under investigation. So if it's a new drug product being tested, the investigator brochure might include information on its chemical structure. Or if it's biotherapeutic, it might have details on the antibody sequence or information on genomic modifications that are made in a cell-based therapy. And it can also include formulation information and dosing information. And there's usually also preclinical data, so like pharmacokinetics, toxicology and safety data. There are actually examples of the same trials that are now on both registers, so for the old directive and the new regulation. So we can compare the old level of disclosure to the new level of disclosure side by side. And we can see that the difference in disclosure is really quite stark. It seems possible now for a really large amount of information to be disclosed at quite an early stage in a trial, whereas under the old system there was much less detail that was made available to the public. And it's also worth noting that, as you mentioned, there is a new requirement to submit interim data quite promptly. And these interim data can also be published, along with any trial modifications that might happen throughout the lifetime of the trial. So if an applicant decides to modify the dosing regime, say, in one arm of the trial, perhaps in response to some interim data suggesting that the dose should be modified, then that trial modification can also be published. So you mentioned just then, Ella, both small molecule drugs and biotherapeutics. Are there any indications that under the new regulation, the scale of the changes might apply differently depending on whether the drug is a small molecule or a biotherapeutic like an antibody? So the disclosure rules themselves won't be any different for different types of medicines, but the impact of those disclosure rules might change depending on a case-by-case basis. So from my perspective, the potential for an entire antibody structure to be disclosed at a very early stage in clinical trials is hugely different from what applicants would normally be used to. And on the other hand, we as patent attorneys know that some applicants might be used to filing well before the start of new clinical trials. For example, if they commonly investigate medicinal products that have a structure that could be determined from the disclosure even under the old system. So that could be the case if they're investigating derivatives of natural products, like CBD derivatives. You can kind of see that in that kind of instance, the disclosure of the precise derivative that's being used might not make a huge difference. And of course, that's all hypothetical, and it will be very dependent on the facts of each case as to whether this new level of disclosure that's come in is something that might change applicants' approach to patent filing. Ella, you mentioned that documents may be published very early in the clinical trial. When exactly is that likely to happen? Can you give us a bit more on that? So the new regulation indicates that the default is that all documents and data submitted to the regulatory authorities will be made available at the earliest available opportunity, accepting, of course, documents that can't be published for reasons of patient confidentiality, data protection, etc. So there might not be much time between submitting documents to the trial authorities and those documents then being made publicly available. So basically that means that documents might be published as soon as you file them. That's obviously a really big change to the old system, where a lot of the information that we've been talking about would only be made available right at the end of a trial. So bearing that in mind, are there any mechanisms for preventing the publication of documents submitted to the regulatory authorities? Luckily, it seems so, yeah. 
the regulation seems to have been drafted with the knowledge that there are lots of reasons for certain information to be kept confidential. And obviously the patent system is one of those reasons. So there are provisions for deferring publication of certain documents and data if they relate to commercially confidential information. We understand that the ability to defer publication of documents seems to depend on the phase of the trial. So in an earlier stage trial, let's say a phase one trial where a new drug product is being tested for safety, there might be the ability to defer publication of certain documents for up to seven years after the end of the trial or up until the medicinal product is authorised. But the length of deferral that's available seems to be increasingly short for later stage trials. So if you're conducting a phase four trial, where you're monitoring long-term safety and efficacy and the drug has already been approved for medical use, you might be able to defer publication only if you can provide good reasons for the deferral, but otherwise authorities might want everything to be published. We also understand that deferral will need to be requested for each and every new document that's filed with the regulatory authorities. So it doesn't seem possible to request deferral once at the beginning of a trial and leave it at that. It needs to be actively requested every time a new document or new data are submitted. And of course, one of the big questions is how freely such deferral requests will actually be granted. We're still in the really early days of this regulation, so it remains to be seen whether regulatory authorities try to limit the extent to which the publication of information is deferred at all. Yes, it's always the case, isn't it, with new regulation? You sort of wait to see how it pans out. And just on that point, I mean, I suppose for any of our listeners who are directly affected by the new regulation and want further details on the deferral process that Ella's just been telling us about, that's obviously a question for your regulatory lawyers. And it certainly seems to make sense to keep in touch with your regulatory team to see how this deferral system is actually going to work in practice. So Susan, Back to our topic, our favourite topic today, which is how all these disclosures affect patents and applications, do you think? Well, just taking clinical trial protocols, the first document that we've basically been talking about today, these are really commonly cited as prior art, especially in contentious proceedings. We very commonly see them crop up in patent oppositions before the European Patent Office. So, Even where there's no or very little data, the mere fact that a clinical trial is going ahead can sometimes present a real headache for applicants and patent proprietors. So, for example, in Europe, the Boards of Appeal of the European Patent Office have held that certain clinical trials, in their words, are routine tests that are straightforward for the skilled person to conduct and that the existence of the clinical trial itself leads to an expectation of success that the drug will work. So this is all quite scary language, but while the case law is very fact-specific, but anecdotally there are lots of examples of where an applicant or a patent proprietor's own clinical trial disclosures presented a really significant hurdle to patentability. This EPO case law is, of course, based on clinical trial protocols that were submitted under the old directive. And we've heard from Ella that the clinical trial protocols and other documents submitted under the new regulation could contain even more detail and so could be even more formidable prior arm. So, Susan, do you think these changes weren't a different patent filing strategy? That's a million-dollar question. When do you file a new patent application? And it's particularly tricky balance to strike when we're talking about new filings that relate to a clinical trial. Typically, in such a situation, if a new application is filed too early, 
the applicant may have limited data and the applicant may struggle to argue for inventiveness or sufficiency. However, if it's filed too late, then the applicant is likely to face tricky prior art, such as the clinical trial protocol. So although we'd always obviously recommend getting bespoke advice on a case-by-case basis, generally the safest approach is to file as early as possible to avoid clinical trial disclosures being prior art in the first place, and then you can file subsequent applications as and when more data are available. So on that basis, I don't see an immediate need for a rethink of that general advice in view to the changes associated with the new clinical trials regulation. In fact, if anything, these changes may tip the balance even more in favour of filing early due to the potentially increased amount of information that could become public under the new clinical trials regulation. And while it doesn't actually relate to your question, Ella, I should also add that the new regulations likely to offer new opportunities for challenging competitors' patents and applications. We've heard from you that the clinical trial protocols may contain even more detail than those published under the old directive and other information, the investigative brochure or the interim results. And these could also potentially become publicly available before a product is authorised. And so the clinical trials register could be a really great resource for prior art disclosures when looking to challenge a competitor's applications and patents. So as ever in this situation, good news for some, less good news for others, depending on which side you're on and what the particular facts are in your case. Well, there's uh, lots of information to digest here. What, Susan Ella, do you think the bottom line is that our listeners should be taking away from today? Well, for me, it's really the necessity to keep in touch with your regulatory teams. Obviously, there's lots of reasons to do that, but I think it's important to make sure that deferrals are being requested where they're needed and also to see how the deferral system is working in practice once it becomes more established. And of course, to make sure there are systems in place to make sure that documents that are submitted at the regulatory authorities are being checked very carefully to make sure there are no accidental, unwanted disclosures of potentially confidential information that might be relevant to a new or future patent application. Yeah, for me, I'd say do consider whether you want your IP counsel to review new documents and data before they're submitted to the regulatory authorities, especially at the start of a trial, to make sure that any potential inventions within those documents are captured in one or more new patent filings. I should say that at Cartmills, we have a huge amount of experience dealing with clinical trial disclosures as prior art, from patent application drafting stage through examination to grant and during contentious proceedings post-grant. So if you have any questions at all in this regard, please do reach out to Ella or me or your normal Cartmills contact as we'd be really happy to help. Well, thank you very much, both of you, Susan and Ella. I think that's all we've got time for today. But thanks also to you, our listeners. If you've enjoyed listening to the discussion today and would like to know more, do have a read of Susan and Ella's excellent article, which is available on our website at www.cutmails.com. And you'll also be able to find their previous episodes of the podcast. Thank you very much to you both, Susan, Ella, and to all our listeners. And I look forward to welcoming you back for another episode of Cartmel's In Conversation very soon. Mm-hmm.